You tell me when we're when we're good, Levi. I'll just sit here and do my Ron Burgundy warm-ups. Ow now, brown cow. Unique New York. <laughs> okay. Hey, corn growers, welcome back to Keeping It Independent, a podcast brought to you, of course, by Wiffles Hybrids. My name is Eric Wilson, agronomy manager for Wiffles, uh, joined today by my counterpart across the big creek, Ryan Jennel, also an agronomy manager. So uh, we had some rainfall over the weekend. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like uh, parts Quite a few parts in Illinois fell short again. I know we got a smattering across southern Iowa, uh, up in northern Iowa. Got some pretty good rainfall accumulations. But uh, unfortunately, the topic of today, which we've been talking about for uh, what feels like the last month or so, probably longer, is is drought interactions again. Uh, what's that corn crop doing out there? Um, I guess I will go ahead and get into the first question. Um, this is one that I know Ryan and myself have been getting quite a bit of. Uh, I noticed certain hybrids roll more during dry weather. Is that necessarily a bad sign? Is it a good sign? Um, so I'll go ahead and try and copy or uh, dive into that one. Ryan, you 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 jump in when I when I start babbling for too long. If that sounds good. Yep, I can handle that. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm gonna steal I'm gonna steal my answer to this question directly from the Chris Icorn. Uh, we tried to get him on this podcast so you guys could hear from him. He's one of our corn breeders at Wiffles, but I always I always liked how he answered this question. So um, when we're talking about corn hybrids rolling, you know, during that hot part of the day, that that's you know we usually talk about it. That's a, that's a defense mechanism, right? When we're short on water, those corn plants roll up, those stomates close, they're actually going into water conservation mode. They're not actively transpiring and moving water through that plant. Um, and the question always arises, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And what I would, what I would like to remind people is, you know, it is all dependent on that hybrid. It, it is dependent on that hybrid's response to drought. Uh, it's dependent on that hybrid's root architecture. So it, it really truly is um, what I would call a genetic, you know, environment by genetic response. So if you think about why a hybrid would do that, you can kind of shuffle them into um one of four categories. You know, if you had a chart up and you split it into four quadrants, uh, you could have a hybrid that rolls early, and that could be uh, a good thing in response to drought, where it is conserving water. It's it's trying to maintain its resources. You could also have a situation where that particular hybrid rolls early, uh, and it's it's a bad response, meaning it's it's shutting down, it's not doing anything, it's not being productive. Now, on the other side of that, you could have a hybrid that doesn't roll early, or maybe it rolls uh, starts to roll later in during during the onset of a drought, uh, and that could be that could be. Um, showing that it's a good thing, meaning that conditions are good and it does have ample supply of water. However, you could also have a situation where that hybrid doesn't roll and that's actually a negative impact to that hybrid in the in the yield in the long run. So it, it's, it's one of those kind of sticky situations, I would say, where you can't necessarily make an assumption on how that's going to turn out when it's happening. It's more so you kind of have to do an autopsy at the end of the year and keep some mental notes, right? Like, hey, this one, 
This one didn't roll early. It was looking really good, but as the drought persisted, uh, maybe that didn't turn out in the best favor compared to something that was rolling early and trying to conserve its resources, uh, so on and so forth. But again, you could have that be totally opposite. You could have the opposite set of situations, and and the one that uh, does does roll early turns out a lot better. So. Uh, I know we're seeing a lot of this on the countryside. Uh, you know, again, just as a reminder, if we're if we're talking extreme drought stress at this stage, because we're still, for the most part, in the earlier V stages of this crop, you know, I would I would define define drought stress or true true drought stress at this point. You know, if we're rolling early in the morning, uh, you know, maybe mid morning around nine ten o'clock, and we're remaining rolled tightly rolled through the entire day. And then sometime at, you know, towards dusk or sunset, that, that plant is finally unrolling and being productive again. That's what I would define as, as true drought stress. Anything to add to that, Ryan? Well, it sounds like you're kind of like the weatherman. It might rain, it might not. You know, <laughs> yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Weatherman yeah. or an agronomist, you know, that's a very open-ended yep. answer. Those are my favorite. <laughs> yep, yep. I would, I would add... You know, when you see that corn plant rolling early in the morning, you know, nine, 10 o'clock before we even get to the heat of the day, that's probably the fields that we could possibly be seeing a little more stress and a little more yield uh, effect than the ones that, you know, look pretty good till two, three o'clock and they only roll for a couple hours. Um, and I, I'm starting to see even a little different uh, uh signs of drought stress on some of the lighter hillsides and stuff now you know in the middle of the afternoon the heat of the day it's almost a wilted appearance kind of gets a little bit of a gray um, look to it the the whole plant just it looks kind of like lettuce you know it's starting to starting to wilt and that's obviously going to have more effect on yield than just the plant rolling that's a that's a good point. You know, I, I I've as I'm thinking about it, I'm totally going to throw a curveball here at you, Ryan. But you know, I always get the question like, well, what's the what's the difference between heat and drought stress, right? And and they kind of go hand in hand. But what you just explained there, in my opinion, is a very good way to kind of differentiate the two, right? Because if we're rolling early when it's not hot out that's that's likely not heat stress right because we haven't hit 90 yep. degrees or 87 degrees or you know above 86 for the day so that that's true that's true drought stress because we just we don't have enough water to function and like what you said when we get into that that hottest point of the day and you start to see some things roll that very likely could be just heat stress from just being too warm even though that we have possibly have water there to function so that's a good way to differentiate yeah. it. So yeah. I got another question for you. Uh, drought guard, the trait drought guard. Let's talk about that. I had, I know this for me was a big topic last year in uh, some of the southern areas of Iowa where we were very dry. It seems no matter where I go, drought follows me around. So maybe, maybe they want a different agronomist. But uh, on the topic of drought guard specifically, what does that trait do and and how does it help protect against drought and when when does it help protect against drought on those hybrids that have that drought guard trait yep been getting that question a lot here in the last couple of weeks um you guys are like well i've got a hybrid or two that's got 
drought guard trait, but you know, it's still rolling. I wonder, wonder what's going on there. And, uh, it's just a good time to remind them that that trait actually helps, uh, that plant use what little water it may have during pollination, uh, more efficient. And it's about a 10 day, two week period during pollination where that trait really kicks in. So you're still going to see drought guard plants roll. They're still going to, uh, you know, there could still be a yield effect from them early on like this or later in the year. Like I said, it's really just that 10 days during pollination. And we've also got natural drought uh, tolerance built into several of our new hybrids that don't have the drought guard trait. So you may see a drought guard possibly roll more than one of our uh, other hybrids or our newer hybrids that has natural drought tolerance built into it. And something I would add, you know, I, I know we've got a couple of drought guard products and I, I would say they're, they're probably almost set up better for a season long drought based on some of the things that they do in particular. Like for example, they both, they both flower early for their RM and they both reach black layer early for their relative maturity. So if you had a drought that persisted through the entire season, most of the time that would probably be a good thing, right? And But I know we saw this last year where we had some hybrids that weren't drought guard and they actually black layered later uh, for their RM. And that in, in that particular year, th- that ended up being a good thing, right? Because they, they, stayed a long, they stayed alive long enough to get a drink of water and get some relief. And got some yield and built some yield towards the very end of the season. And I know that showed up. So uh, I, I always remind guys that drought guard does not mean drought proof. It, it, it's, it's really just that pollination window, like you said, Ryan. So. Yep. One other question I've been getting around the drought too is, you know, are, is the corn going to tassel knee high, you know, and I'd say no, probably in most cases, but we probably are going to see some uh, shortening of the nodes in the plants. Such as kind of one way the corn plant uh, can help protect itself by not adding a lot of vegetative growth and trying to save some energy for pollination time coming up here pretty quick. So I do expect we'll see shorter corn uh, this year, especially in the in the drought stricken areas of Illinois for sure. Yep. Shorter corn, and, and I've even noticed in some years, you know, just, just smaller leaf, leaf, uh, less leaf area overall. Yeah. It, it just it just kind of shrinks the overall size, the overall biomass, and, and that makes sense when you don't have enough water to go around. You're, you, you got one goal as a corn plant, and it's to make, make grain, right? So it, it, you're going to conserve your ve- vegetative tissue in effort to try and do that, which makes total sense. That ties in pretty good to the uh, second question when you just mentioned less leaf area. Um, when we start talking about uh, disease and, you know, had a few guys that are already considering throwing in the towel and it's it's way too early here in June. We haven't even got to pollination time yet. And we've got over, well over half of your yields determined from pollination on. So they're like, should I even book a fungicide? Should I worry about spraying a fungicide? And, and uh I would say, yes, you should still plan definitely on spraying a fungicide. You know, we're going to know here in the next two, three weeks. I think the Illinois forecast is 90 degrees all this week and and part of next week. So um, probably early corn, that Easter, pre-Easter corn should be starting to throw a tassel around the 4th of July. So we're going to know pretty quick um, what we've got, 
you know, by pollination after pollination time. And uh, I would definitely plan on a fungicide. Um, I guess the one silver lining is the weather we're having right now and hardly any rain um, disease is basically non-existent in every field I've been in. But uh, um, we're definitely definitely want to plan on it. We can always uh, change those plans later in July if we need to. But really, especially if you're talking tar spot, that's determined, you know, the last part of July and the first half of August and how much rain we have in July and August determines tar spot for sure. And, and we'll probably would help with, uh, you know, the Southern rust and some of the other diseases, Northern leaf blight too, but um, we still got a long ways to go uh, with the corn crop and yield potential to be thrown in the towel right now. On, on the topic, you know, we've, we've, we've been doomsday up to this point, but uh July and August, I, th- I think you got some some hopeful news to share with us on that topic in building corn yield, gentle, right? I know uh, uh, Brent Tharp did a little yep. did a little background research. You want to walk us through that? Yep, he went and uh, looked at trendline yields for the uh, Central Corn Belt, basically Illinois, uh, Indiana, Iowa, and uh, he went back and looked at the last thirty years that we've been below normal. Uh, precipitation in June, and then he uh, tied that into where we actually ended up with uh, trendline yields. And I'll quiz Eric here, see if he was a good student. Out of that 30 years, how many years were we actually above trendline yields when we had a dry June? So so I know the answer to this, uh, but I, I'm going to first mention that when I initially answered this question, my, my guess was maybe half, half of the year, so 15 and it actually came back that it was 21. 21 out of the 30 years with below average precip in June, we still obtained above trendline yields. Yep. And then when you, you look at the July and August precipitation, um, it, it if we at least had average to above average July, August precipitation, that uh, that definitely helped in that 21 of, of 30 years uh, also. When you think about it as well, I've listened to a couple of meteorologists and if there is another good thing to this drought we're having, it's it's been a cool drought. We haven't had a lot of extreme temperatures. Eric, I think you even had frost in a couple spots yeah, a week, yeah, week or just, two ago. In fact, actually, it had been a week ago t- uh, tonight, we had frost in... Um, Oh, up around Highway 30 in in uh, northeast Iowa. So it, it just in the low spots. It wasn't like whole field level, but yeah, we actually had we we had some nights where uh, it definitely got cool enough. We had we had some plant damage. So that, those cool nights are at least giving the plant a little time to rest. Um, like I said, if there's a silver lining with a, a a drought, it's at least been cool. Especially as we get into July and August, um, you know. Uh, many, many listeners have probably heard this before, but, you know, those cool nights that we get, um, that we hopefully get in July and August, those go a long way to, to building, to building yield. Um, those are super important. They let the plants relax a little bit, repair themselves, and actually, you know, put their effort into uh, building grain during that time period and, and not just doing plant maintenance, if, if that's somewhat of a way to think about it, I guess. I got a question for you, Ryan. On those, you know, there's basically nine years. If I recall, those nine years that resulted in below trend line yields, a lot of those were years like 2012 
1988, if I remember right, you know, where, where we had droughts that just well, persisted. Even... I was, I, I'm a, I'm a model 88. Okay. You I, weren't I even was, born. I was there. <laughs> I was there. I was there. February. I had a real birthday that year, February 29th, 1988. I was there for the drought. I don't remember it, but I'm a model 88. So, <laughs> but th- th- those, were, those were the worst, the worst of the worst, right? Those were drought years that persisted for the whole summer. So, um, yeah, if, if things persist, it can turn out well. But uh, essentially, if we've got, you know, 66% of the time, uh, that what's that telling us that June doesn't necessarily have a bearing on trend line yields. It's that July and August weather that we get. We, we should be getting some really good roots in most of the fields out there. I, I dug a few, uh, floating some corn root worms and we've, we've got some pretty good root mass, uh, in most of the fields I've been in, uh, that have scrounged up a little moisture anyway. Yep. And I, I would, I would agree. And I know we were talking about this last week, but, uh, I'm I am shocked, impressed, bewildered. You know, you know, whatever whatever word you want to use at, at how well this corn is continuing to hang on and how well it's doing with with the lack of moisture that we got. So uh, I'm I'm still pretty hopeful personally. Yep. Another question we've been getting quite a bit. Um, we're kind of rolling into wide drop time for the guys that plan to put a little nitrogen on with a wide drop technique. Um, What's your feelings on 95 degrees, 90 degrees all week, no rain in the forecast? What do you think, Eric? Should I do it? Should I not? Should I put a stabilizer in? Oh, you you hit me with a lot of questions there. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give you the meteorologist response or the agronomist response on this one. So uh, I'm still going to go back and say, you know, if those applications are part of your planned nitrogen program, meaning that, you know, you you don't have what you need on up to this point, uh, I still think those are going to be a good idea. Uh, now on the topic of putting that nitrogen down 95 degree temperatures, uh, I will say we've got a few things going for us, especially as we get now into the mid to later V stages of that crop. So we're, we're finally getting a canopy uh, in, in a lot of these cornfields. That, that helps us maintain some higher humidity conditions, which is a good thing, I think. Um, and that also kind of shades or protects that nitrogen application from um, the, the high temperatures, the high heat, the sunlight. Those are the things that cause that, that urea to volatilize, right? So um, would I use a stabilizer? I'll say that's probably entirely up to uh, what's going to make that customer or that applicator, you know, feel the best about their application. I don't necessarily know that we need to to use one per se uh, because we are protecting that a little bit with sunlight. And the other thing, you know, if we do happen to catch a little pop-up shower, even, even like a tenth of rain, a tenth of an inch of rainfall, you know, if you've ever dumped water or, uh, yeah, let's just leave it at that. If you ever dumped water on a corn plant, um, watch how that water trickles down that corn plant. Those leaves act like a funnel and all that water runs right to the base of the plant. So when we're making those Y applications, you know, any little amount of water that or rainfall that does happen in that field, it's going right to the base of the plant, right where you're dribbling that nitrogen on top. 
Is that going to be enough? I, I have no idea. It's entirely dependent on how much rainfall you get. Um, but if if those were planned applications, I would for sure be wanting to make those and get them done. Now, if if this is an application where uh, I, f- I feel like, um, you know, maybe it's, it, it's going to help my crop or uh, I think it's going to help it, you know, handle the drought stress a little better, I, I don't necessarily think that that's a good application. Um, the reality of the situation is we've probably lost very little, if any, nitrogen in most places uh, outside of a few areas where we maybe maybe had some ponding early. Um, so I, I, I don't know that that's going to necessarily benefit you to go above and beyond your your regularly scheduled nitrogen program, if that makes sense, Ryan. Any, anything you want to add on that? No, I'd, I'd 100% agree. If it's part of your planned program, I would definitely go ahead and, and do it. Um, if you're better than the little weatherman at, at figuring out when it's going to rain, if you can get it on right before rain is ideal, obviously. Yep. Um, but I'd add uh, on to what Eric said. I think we've lost very little um, in, in most areas, at least in Illinois. We haven't had any big rains. Um, an inch, inch and a half has been the majority of it. We, we did... Uh, find a couple fields uh oh about a month ago we soil tested uh where water had been standing they had a, a six inch event and we tested and actually had not lost much nitrogen out of those ponds this year i think probably the cool weather um has helped that as well so hopefully you can you can read the weather better than the weatherman and uh, try and get it on ahead of a little bit of rain like eric said and you should be okay I think with that, Ryan, that's a wrap for this episode. Uh, As always, listeners, if you have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Send those questions for us to cover in future episodes. Send them to agronomy at wiffles.com. Again, that's agronomy at wiffles.com. Thank you guys so much for listening, and please stay safe out there. See you later.